0: You're listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie.
1: You're too young for bowel cancer. How many times over the past 10 years since my diagnosis have I heard other bowel cancer patients say they were told the same thing? It's a misconception, but we need to be bowel cancer aware and it does not discriminate. Today's guest was just 24. She presented with symptoms but was dismissed. Today we're chatting with Holly about her experience navigating a bowel cancer diagnosis in her early 20s and facing the possibility then of never having children. Holly, thanks so much for joining us today on The Bottom Line Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We're going to be chatting fertility predominantly today and fertility and cancer. It's such an important topic and we have had many questions and requests from women and some men as well around this topic. You're quite passionate about sharing your story and you said to me, you know, over the years you've shared it quite a bit with us. So before we delve into that topic of fertility, tell us a little bit about your diagnosis at 24. So
0: at 24... After the colonoscopy that I had, I didn't expect to hear those words, you have cancer. Waking up after it, I remember the nurse coming to me and saying, the doctor needs to see you. And then being taken into that doctor's office, being handed a box of tissues as I walked in. I was a bit like, what's happening here? And just the look, I would never forget the look on his face when he told me, I think you have cancer. And I was like, what? No, no. And he's like, yeah, I think you have cancer. And I was like, no, no, no. So it was a bit of like a the shock, the disbelief, the, it didn't sink in. He sent me for a further scans. And that's when I saw his face again. And I was like, I don't need to know anymore right now. I just want to go home. And it was just like, anybody that's been told you have cancer, there's no real words. Like I get goosebumps now even just talking about it. It's just like your whole world just becomes, just comes crashing down. It's just like, everything else doesn't matter. It's like, well, how am I going to get better? Am I going to survive? Am I going to be alive? Am I going to die? Like what's going to happen to me? And it was just these million questions, but I didn't know how to ask them because I, I just didn't know what was in front of me. It was just this journey that's like, you never think it's going to happen to you.
1: Well, especially not
0: at 24, Holly. No. And prior, prior to being diagnosed, I presented to the GP multiple times with um, every time I ate, I was in constant pain. Like I had to lay down and stretch my stomach. I was constipated. I, he did blood tests and it showed my white cell count was low um I was anemic but he just said it was IBS I presented to emergency twice with really bad like I was like curled over in excruciating pain they tested for topic pregnancies they tested for girl problems and they referred me to a gynecologist, funnily enough.
1: But bowel cancer was never something they ever discussed?
0: Not at all. They said I had a lot of fluid in my pelvic, like abdominal region. so That's why they sent me to a gynecologist. And that's where they said, yeah, you have lots of fluid, but we don't know why because everything else looks really good. So from there, I just had to keep being persistent with that. And I finally got put on a, a list for a colonoscopy. When I finally got to have one, they abandoned the procedure because sedation doesn't work on me and I woke up screaming on the table. Um, but luckily, the universe, they found one polyp, which got me back on the list, an urgent list. After It was over two years, constant back and forwards, just being told no, 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 just IBS, just girl problems. And then when they finally found the tumour blocking my bowel, that's when everything kind of became like, what's happened? Like, what were your symptoms? Why were you not diagnosed? And it was just all the, what if, so I remember my GP going back and going over everything, like what did he miss? Because obviously the stigma around cancer, bowel cancer, is an old person's disease. And I think being, it's it was 11 years in February this year that I was diagnosed.
1: Well, congratulations. Isn't that a wonderful 11 years? I <laughs> well, no, considering they didn't
0: think I would be here, so they gave me that five. Originally they weren't going to even, it was just going to be, because it was stage four, they originally were just going to give me chemotherapy to prolong my life. And then I had an angel of a liver surgeon. I I honestly get emotional. I honestly think he just was like my guardian angel. Like he just said... 10 on, I still get (laughs) talking about
1: it. Completely natural, I do as well, and I was only stage three. So it's a normal reaction. It really is, and I just think if it wasn't for him willing
0: to say, hey, if chemo shrinks your tumours on your liver, I will operate. From there, I made it my, like I just had this knowing I was going to be okay. From the very beginning, I just, like, I'm going to be okay. I can't explain how that felt. But I just made it my mission. Every blood test, every chemo round, I made sure I was eating. No matter how sick I was, I would get out of bed. I'd force myself to eat, to drink, because I just knew how important it was to have those bloods to be able to get that chemo session done. And I just made it my mission to just like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. And the tumors shrunk when I finally got that MRI, and he's like, they shrunk and now we'll do the portal vein embolization to make sure your other side of the liver is big enough to grow. And the liver surgery is like, he just, he did it. And he, I remember him waking up, waking me up after the liver surgery going, I got it all, Holly, you're going to be okay. And I I will never forget that. his bedside manner. Every time he came into my room, the day out, like uh, the days after surgery, he even brought his little girls into the room. Like it was just like the universe or whoever was out there watching me, sent me him to make sure I would still be here today. Like I just
1: I don't even know how to explain it. (laughs) Words words often don't explain it, do they? I think, you know, it's so lovely to hear a wonderful outcome. It's fabulous when you hear those words and I imagine at 24 hearing the words that at stage four would have been very very difficult. Cancer at any age is difficult but at 24 you've got your entire life ahead of you. What what would you like GPs to take from this because your symptoms were dismissed and we hear this constantly especially with women because our female problems seem to disguise the cancer. What would be your advice to GPs? Not just to assume that just because somebody comes to you with um, stomach pains or constipation
0: or those symptoms that can be a multitude of different things, but not just to assume and just say, oh, you've got IBS. Look further, or ask bigger questions. How long has it been? Like I feel like communication and asking those bigger questions, give them a bigger framework to do those further testing or ask about family history. Or I just feel like you need they need to remove that, stigma that bowel cancer and old person disease because the facts show that it is far from that it's happening so much more in younger people
1: I want to now talk about you know stage four you've said that you went in for liver surgery what was that initial prognosis my first words were like
0: what do I have to do so I went in there sat down and he's like looking at your scans you've got stage four bowel cancer secondary liver cancer based on what we're looking at we would give you. 5% chance to be alive here in the next five years. So it was a bit like mum was there, my ex-partner or fiance at the time was there and they're just, all those emotions come out. And I just remember just sitting there going, well, what do I have to do? My mind was just like, I need to know what I need to, do to get through this because it's, I just had that determination, like something in me just, the, the switch just flipped. I was like, what do I need to do? So being told I need to have bowel surgery that uh, obviously entailed a lot more. So having to do the bowel prep, I'm getting sent sent to measure up if I needed to have a stoma.
1: <laughs> and did you?
0: No, they thought I was hilarious. So I was like, I'm not having one. Do not give me one. They're like, well, holy, if you need to have one, we're giving you one. So you need to go and see a stoma nurse. And and, and, and I was like, no, don't give me one. <laughs> First thing I did when I woke up was feel, and I didn't have one. Surprise. <laughs>
1: Do you know what? I think lots of bowel cancer patients would uh, empathise with you because I know I had to have one and that's the first thing I did. I looked at it and went, oh. <laughs> I was very blessed.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't know, they just said the way my bowel attached back together, they didn't need it. And I don't know, they said it was just being young. I don't usually like to use that word, but, yeah, having that there, they just managed just to go back together. So I was cut top to bottom. And then had to spend about seven days in hospital after that, not eating slowly, trying to get things to work again. I was more more afraid of actually getting out of bed for the first time. I thought I was going to fall open everywhere. Being the first time having to have major surgery, just all these things go through your head. It's like.
1: So on that then, mentally, how did you navigate your bowel cancer journey? Mentally, I don't think
0: I processed anything during the journey, if I'm honest. I was just. Focus on how do I get through it? How do I make sure I I get through everything? How do I make sure I'm well enough to make sure I don't miss out on treatments, on surgeries? I was on that, I was in a mental state that I had that deep knowing I was going to be okay, but I knew I just had to keep going. I couldn't focus on anybody else crumbling around me. I had to focus on me and not, I didn't attach myself to the stigma of 5%. I was like, I have 5%. Ninety-five percent says I won't be here, but five percent says I will be here. So, I'm. How do I? How do I keep being that? So, my mindset was really focused on that small bit and not on all the negative stuff you get told through. What could happen? This could happen. These going to be side effects. This is. This all those things and what they tell you the statistics. It was like I didn't focus on that because I knew if I did, my mindset would go down that barrel of. And I and I and I'm, I see it so much. I've had to rem- remove myself from some groups because it's. I understand how it happens, but where your mind goes, your energy goes. Where your mind is, it's such a powerful thing. And if you get stuck on those, I know it's really hard because it's a, it's a life-altering experience. But you've got to really, your headspace plays such an important role on every aspect of the journey. And I don't know what happened in me, but I just. Unlocked this inner strength and this willingness and determination and resilience to just not give up, to never give up, to not lay in bed, to not feel sorry for myself. I just had to make sure it was like I had to get up every day because if I didn't get up, that I might not get up the next day.
1: That positive vibe is so important. So we're here to talk fertility, and obviously at 24 years of age, being diagnosed that would have really raced through your mind and I imagine. How did they handle that in the initial stages around your fertility? At the time I was engaged, we were planning a wedding, so it was something
0: that was was in my forefront that that this is something that could possibly be. So when they at the time of the diagnosis, they took me aside and said, "We have to tell you that there's the option to freeze your eggs." but we don't recommend it because it's the state, the criticalness and the seriousness of your disease right now, the more added time to freeze your eggs or get your eggs out. We just don't recommend it because your life is is more important. And I sat there and went, fine. I literally just, again, had that feeling. I was like, you know what, if it's meant to be, it'll be right now. I need to be okay. If I'm not okay, then I'm not going to have kids. So, and I, honestly, all this stuff didn't hit me until, years post-diagnosis, all of this stuff was I was in survival state for so long that all of this didn't hit me until later down the track. So at that time, I was like, yep, whatever happens, happens. Right now, if I don't survive this, I can't have
1: kids. So let's talk now. You have a beautiful baby daughter who's 19 months old. How did you then, you obviously were able to have children. How did that pan out? Talk us through your fertility years down the track.
0: Yeah, so like I said, it, it did catch up with me. So I did become quite resentful to other people that had kids or to my friends that were moving on with their life, with their partners who were having kids. And I became quite, because I wasn't along with my my partner, I just became quite like, that's been taken away from me. Do you hear the story that when you have chemotherapy, you probably can't have kids? And, I, and that's one belief that I stuck onto. And it, I found it really hard to shake seeing people with kids. And I just kept telling myself, I don't want to have kids now. I don't want to have kids now. And that's just a story I started to tell myself because I was in denial and I was actually scared to find out if I could have kids because what if it was true? And it was, it was a very confronting thing. So, you know, when I ended up finding my partner, my husband now, it's like that became a real forefront in like, can I actually have a kid? Can I actually carry a kid? Can my body actually do this with all the scarring and everything that's been going on? And My oncologist, who I used to see at Gosford Hospital, said, Holly, your body's brand new. Your cells have regenerated. Your body is going to be able to carry a baby now and you will be able to fall pregnant because your body has just rebuilt. It's it's different to who it was back when you were diagnosed with cancer. I was like, what? It's like, wow. So that kind of gave me hope that, like, awesome. And it also, I needed to remind myself that not to believe the statistics, not to hold on to what. They do tell you, which is the worst case scenario. So I ended up going and getting a, there's that blood test. I think it was a blood test I got to check your egg level. They said it was on the lowest of lows. And I was like, oh no, this is happening. This is true. I went and I do a lot of energy healing work with a lady here on the central coast. She recommended to me to go see a Chinese medicine man to do acupuncture. It was full, like barely spoke English, just did did his work and he said, you'll have a baby and then walked away. And I was like, okay. How right he was. <laughs> and then along the day I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I just, I turned off being, I turned off coffee. I was like, this is weird. I love coffee. It's like, I feel sick. And I was like, I didn't think, honestly, didn't think anything of it. Randomly did a pregnancy test while I was working, kept working, picked up a test and I was just literally just started shaking and bawling my eyes out. I was like, whoa, I'm pregnant. What? What? Like what happens now? (laughs) Yeah, so it was like she reminded me, being gifted her reminded me that to never give up, that anything is possible, that miracles do happen and like I said, I did become jealous of other people I did fall into that trap of resenting and pushing people away who had kids or telling myself that story and I had to be reminded that, again, that things, good things can still happen after these rocky roads.
1: So you didn't have to explore IVF then?
0: No, they did mention that, you know, the possibilities of having to do that. And I again I was reminded again just how incredible my body has been and is still throughout everything I've been through. My body still continues to be amazing and do these things. And I just feel very grateful to have not have to explore those options and that she she arrived. <laughs>
1: Obviously, you could conceive naturally, which was wonderful. Were there any difficulties through pregnancy? And then did you have difficulties giving birth? Because as you said, your body has been poked and prodded in many spots.
0: Yeah, so I was referred, I was classed as a high-risk pregnancy-based. I think anybody, they said anybody who's had a cancer treatment in cancer experience in the past is classed as high risk. I thought I would be monitored a lot more than what I was.
1: But also we were monitored a lot. You were monitored a lot when you had cancer. So that's probably a natural thing
0: to think. 100%. And that's, I think that was a bit triggering for me. And I was like, oh, should I be doing more? Should I be watching more? But they honestly said that, and they, I first thing was like, am my scars going to be an issue with my belly stretching? At the beginning, I got really bad pains under my ribs. I think it was just all the adhesions, the scar adhesions that hadn't been stretched. It just was really uncomfortable, a lot of stretching and ripping because none of that has been stretched. And then the further along, but that wasn't that actually didn't give me grief. I thought it was going to and not, there was no complications in relation to my body for to give birth. So it was actually yeah I was I was genuinely surprised. I think I had that fear-based mindset a little bit from what I had been through, thinking things was going to happen or that it would be, it would hold me back or I wouldn't be able to go full term or, and I had a lot of people around me. And so I literally get a little head, a little bit, other people's head voices in my head saying, oh, you won't make it that far. You'll have to get induced. You'll have to have a season. You'll have to do it. And I was like, stop. That happens
1: even when you have a baby yeah. and you haven't <laughs> had cancer. Yes. Honestly, everyone has got an opinion <laughs> no, yeah. like, and
0: then it was just a beautiful moment, and I, it was just a huge, overwhelming experience. Just know that, like, I have her now. Like, and I. Didn't how,
1: how was it when you held your baby for the first time? It must have been incredibly surreal.
0: It was surreal. It honestly was, and I don't think it actually sunk in for a while because it was a rocky journey. It was hard. A lot of anxiety and things came up for me. Like, I'm every time I look at her now, I'm like, I can't believe I have you. Like, I can't. And, and I look at her and I'm like, you are my reminder to never give up. And they did tell me that if I ever did have a baby, there was a 50% chance she could get what I like to have the bowel cancer. Genetic testing on me showed no genetic patients. Yeah. None of that. But with my history and my awareness, cause I still see Dr. Kwok every year for scopes, like I guess when it comes to the right age of what and when we have to make like watch Lily. Oh,
1: such a such a wonderful story and a wonderful outcome. Um and I know around the lynch uh for example, I don't have lynch, but Angus will still have to start having colonoscopies ten year but years before, unless by some miracle there's some other test by then. We can cross our cross our fingers. But
0: the prep these days, you think, come on, how far is science advanced? Like, is it something we don't have to drink
1: that crap? <laughs> Mind you, it is getting better, I think, prep. <laughs> <laughs> we've created at Bow Cancer Australia and you've been a part of that to help us create a pregnancy and fertility resource because you mentioned and we've had a few women mention that having had cancer, there was nothing out there that guided them and helped them through this. So thank you for that. What would your advice be to say another woman going through something similar who's had cancer? I would
0: honestly go and speak to somebody who you feel supported with whether it's a, a gynecologist, an obstetrician. I had a lot of, I, I sought a lot of support. I had my GP, I had a naturopath, I had my energy healer, I had the Chinese acupuncture man. I think it's important if and to make sure your headspace is in the right space is to, to I know it's hard with the education out there. There's not much out there because there is that if you have chemotherapy, literally this is what I thought. If you have chemotherapy, you can't have kids. Because
1: there is that if it does affect. Well, you're living proof that that's not the case. <laughs> to not, if they have told you that, to
0: acknowledge what they've told you, but it doesn't have to be your story. It doesn't have to be your outcome. I mean, you might have, if the possibility, there is the IVF these days, there is surrogates, there is so many options to be able to have a baby that to don't give up, it might be hard, it might take years, it could take your first try, but not to give up and just believe that anything is possible because anything is possible in life. We just, we have to make sure we support ourselves on that journey or in the preparation of that journey. So if it does happen, you've got those people around you and making sure you've got that mental state. Speak to, if you haven't got a psychologist or counsellor to get you through this, find someone that you can connect to or who listens or you feel safe and seen and heard with. I found that having that person with me who I've been seeing since the beginning, since it was for her, like it's, she's just been there and been that person and I think having that support is huge. I think we've, we miss that out. We focus on the physical side, but I think having that emotional, mental health support is, is so important as well.
1: Sometimes you don't want to speak to your family or your partner or friends because you don't want to burden them, do you? Well,
0: they don't really understand either. I found that like they try their best to say, there's never the right thing to say, or you might get upset with people who think they're saying the wrong thing. They're just saying seeing it from their point of view and their perspective. And they're never out intentionally to hurt you by what they say. But having someone who's been through the journey. They just, you just, they just get it on a different level. They just understand your fears, your anxiety, the thoughts you have, the fear. Like, I just feel like it's different when you connect with someone who's been through something similar or what you've been through because, and you just feel like they see you or they hear you, or they just get the weirdness in your head that you might be having. Like (laughs) like It makes a huge difference. Absolutely.
1: Finally, Holly, I like to ask uh, the people that I interview the three key takeouts that they want people to take from the podcast. What would your top three be? (sighs) What I always
0: say is listen to your body. No matter what anybody says, you need to be the advocate for your health because nobody else is going to advocate for you. You live in your body, you know your body, you feel your body, you know what feels right and what doesn't feel right. If you're not being heard by a doctor or somebody else, speak louder or get somebody else until you're heard. Because if I wasn't persistent, I wouldn't be here today. So you need to be your own advocate for your health. So that's a big one for me. I would, number two would be to don't believe you're too young because you're never too young for anything. And I got told and I still get told, Oh, you're so young. You're too young. It's not true. And you're not alone when somebody tells you that you're too young or you're being diagnosed with cancer or bowel cancer, please know that you're not alone. It can be an isolating time, but there is so much resources within bowel cancer, within Instagram, within and so many different things that please know that you're not alone on this journey um, and to reach out to people who have been on it and they can support you in the ways that they can hold space for you.
1: And number three?
0: <laughs> number three, I, I just really, really encourage people to when they navigate the new normal post-bowel cancer, to know that that journey is a new hard journey in itself and to surround yourself with support to get you through that and know that we've all experienced those fears, those anxieties, the, what is this new body? The anxiety, like it happens. Nobody talks about it, but please know that you're not going crazy when you're going on this journey. You feel like you've lost yourself, but know that you will find yourself again through these challenges. I found the new normal, so hard, but to not give up and to keep moving forward, and know that you've got through cancer, you can reconnect with this new you post cancer. You will find them, and you will feel yourself. You just got to remember what makes you you. Whether it's a beach walk, whether it's meditation, whether it's the gym, whatever it is, just bring yourself back to that, and you'll be you'll be able to navigate yourself through the hard times.
1: Holly, that is wonderful advice. Thank you so much for joining me on the Bottom Light podcast. I'm so thrilled that you've got little baby Lily, who's still fast asleep, which is yeah. wonderful. <laughs> she's done very well. We've been doing this podcast while she's been asleep. Thank you for being so frank and so sharing with your story and delving into this difficult area. Sometimes of fertility, it will really help other women and men on this journey. It's a privilege to chat to you, and thank you for everything you've done for us over the years of Bowel Cancer Australia.
0: Thank you for having me. And remember, you're never alone on any of this journey, and, and there's always support out there for you. So thank you again for having me.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom
0: Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.